The following is a conversation with Nika Chu, magic YouTuber and modern merfolk master. Who is Nika Chu MTG? Nikachu MTG. I mean, Nikachu MTG has like mutated several times, like over the years. Uh, it's now I like enjoy making what I would like to consider, you know, some sort of like sensational content on Magic: The Gathering. Uh, you know, I tried to go over like really big moments either in the history of the game, or I try to make like at least trying to make incredibly powerfully fun videos to watch. Uh, and that's that's I'm just sort of following that as as it goes. When you say sensational, you mean exceptional and not sensationalistic, or it's a combination. Well, like you you could like you sort of exaggerate things like oh this is the greatest blunder of all time in Magic: The Gathering history, or like there might be something at a competitive point of view like there was like a gigantic mistake but maybe from a casual perspective like you know what is was the big deal about this but you know it's a it's a it's a means of uh making the content more exciting and it's still like it will resonate with people one way or another the way you know i can con convey the story so i i figured you asked me last time so maybe i'll ask you and turn it around like so who is your channel for and who are you making because you kind of said that part of it is based on your own interests but Mm -hmm. Who is it for? Who is the who is the consumer of the things that you put out? I mean, it's just magic players. It's magic players. I do you know what? If you want to go over the history, you like to do that. You like the history of the content creation journey. My channel originally was a modern merfolk uh, instructional channel. So I played modern. I had this really niche deck, the modern merfolk deck. For anyone who doesn't know, it was like a tier three deck. Didn't win, didn't do anything. However, it just so happened that as I was getting into the format, there was a pro player by the name of Petr Sohurik who got like top 16 or something, top 32, top 16 at a pro tour with this deck. And by pure coincidence, he tried to teach people in a forum, uh, it was like MTG Salvation or something like, or yeah, one of those those forums back in the day how to play this thing and the merfo community is enormous and at the same time i'm trying to learn the deck at this uh, uh at the same rate and this guy was just getting like crushed not crushed he um everyone was just like disputing all of his advice like no you can't play the deck like this that's crazy he had a convent completely different perspective on the archetype completely different point of view completely different 75 that went completely against the grain and uh they basically chewed him up and spit him out and i'm like this guy's on the pro tour do any are any of you on the pro tour no nobody's on the pro tour this guy actually knows how it's done so i reached out to him and i learned the ways of this archetype but the thing is something that i learned undisputably online in the magic the gathering community is like written discourse is useless completely pointless you can theory talk all you want back and forth it means nothing if, unless you have like some sort of uh reputation or some sort of authority on the subject but if you can get people to watch it if you show people how it's done that can change people's minds so all of a sudden you put the theory into video 
And so, and I've always been fascinated by YouTube. I want to know, hey, I love YouTube. I, I love the camera. The camera loves me. So I started my YouTube journey with what I was most passionate about. It was this deck, which I was winning at like 80% of the time. I thought it was like a hidden gem of modern back in like 2013, 2014-ish. So that's what, but, also when you started YouTube? Uh, I started YouTube in two, that late 2014, super late 2014. So I've been around here for a while. That's almost <laughs> a decade if you think about I it. I yeah. know. It's like, oh my God, I've spent like a decade of my life doing this. I imagine like if I spent that much time being, you know, all on chess, maybe I could be a chess master at this point. But <laughs> uh, the, so I made a channel, you know, uh, based on, hey, this is how you play Merfolk. This is what you got to do to win. And over time, as I was playing in more uh, more um, open events and making day twos of Grand Prix and even top eighting one of them and consistently getting good results uh, both online and in paper, uh, I became an authority on the archetype. And if you want to know how Merfolk matches up versus Tron or Burn or Death Shadow or Splinter Twin, Birthing Pod uh affinity or whatever you could find that on uh on my channel and i was able to in my opinion relatively well articulate and show the strategy to how to play this tier three deck at a somewhat tier one level to make it a competitive deck that you could win tournaments with and and as a result of it the modern murpho community were like invigorated they made like a Facebook group. It's interesting, actually. You know, there there were no dis specific Facebook groups or Discord groups until like Merfolk started all this. Like they had such a a strong community. I didn't build this community, by the way. I, full disclaimer: the community mm -hmm. was always there. I just showed them the way, and then once people started winning. They had such confidence. People are, as many people know, that the one of the top decks foiled out in modern are, are the Merfolk decks. If you go to a big event, if there's a foiled out deck, it's going to be like goblins or Merfolk. Well, partially because you know I completely foiled out my Merfolk deck, and because we are devoted, and there is a community strong enough to stick with the deck thick and thin, no matter where the meta game goes, as I was doing. You know, you could feel uh, you could feel confident buying into such an archetype for the long haul. So, uh, so many different communities start up. You know, you had Facebook groups, you got Reddit group, you've got Discords. So it's got it. It grew. Uh, the community grew very, very strong, and and blossom, and is still very, very strong to to this day. Um, uh, did you and did I, you ultimately prove that your sort of assumptions work? I assume talking about mm -hmm. it in hindsight. It did work. You were basically saying that the video word or the video is stronger than the written word. Uh, were you able to? I, I'm trying to figure out is there is there a conflation thing at work where you know also you having good results built your credibility with your platform, or was it and YouTube just helped accelerate that, or was it just just straight up when someone watches a video or or a picture's worth a thousand words. I don't know how, how much a video's worth, 10,000 if more yeah. or more compared to an article. Like, were you able to prove that? Like, I guess, how do you, how do you see that? You well, it's a com it was a combination of two. Certainly when I started my channel, I got a lot of flack from the Merfolk community and just random people in the community too. It's like, that's not how you play Merfolk. That's not how you build a Merfolk deck. But all those people are just left in the dust. Like, I'm the only one who made this, a co like, kept this deck, like, relevant for, you know, a up to a decade now. Uh, no matter what the metagame was, 
I would say maybe between 2018 2019 was the shakiest of my results but outside of that I I felt like I I could this deck was relevant enough to win a tournament uh uh in, in any other area uh or era but um over time when as I built credi credibility you know all those naysayers you know they they disappeared and I guess people could just trust whatever I was doing because the way I was playing the deck was very different. Like it's a creature deck. The number, the like the level zero assumption with creature based decks is that they're aggro decks. They have to be played really fast. You got to win. You're the beatdown player. I mean, if if you aren't beating them on turn four or five, then what are you doing? Whereas I took a very different approach to the deck. I look at it as a more of a control deck. I want to play it slow. Fundamentally, the deck is so clunky and awkward compared to every other archetype in in modern. Why would you try to race it? It like the fastest Merfolk kill is on turn four, like literally turn four. Assuming you've got like a turn one drop, you got a lord, another lord, and like a fourth lord. A nutshell. So you, yeah. you, you, all the creatures need to resolve. Not a single creature can die, and also right. like nothing gets blocked. For those four turns, so, so that's pure goldfish, right? Yeah, it's Best like conditions. it's like I'm up against a complete like a, some sort of wall or something like I don't know. I'm up against a brick wall. That's the only way that's going to happen. So like my approach to the deck is to like look at each merfolk creature like it's sort of like a spell, position it against how my opponent is playing to maximize its benefit, like maximize their abilities, and uh, chip away at my opponent like with those creatures if they die i don't care i mean it was it was just like it was just a random spell in my deck and then slowly eventually if my opponent is close to dead maybe i'll dump my hand on the board and go for the kill but i have to like wait for it to be positioned like that so when people see the deck being played so radically differently from someone who is winning with it you know basically it, it changes their minds and their approach ideally their approach to the deck and t by today there are many very good players within the merfolk community that can pilot merfolk um very very well like at a master level what was it about merfolk that made you devote a decade or more of your content career to it or maybe not fully now but just in the past like what was it what what created this devotion to merfolk no no mechanic pun intended well certainly it was the youtube channel that made me stick to it because like um i mean someone can like correct me if i'm wrong but i might have been the first person to sell sideboard guides on patreon if i wasn't the first i might have been like one of the very earliest and uh, a lot of other creators they told me like i inspired them to make their own patreons based on their archetype because they would look at my patreon that there's 350 people supporting this guy who plays a tier three deck and they want his sideboard guide like what well, that's insane why don't i build my own channel on like you know jund or or blue eye control or death shadow or something and they could try to do the same thing and so basically other people replicated the model but the thing is once once you're like niched down like that i'm not that i hate the deck i love the deck actually i mean i was i am devoted i i like to maybe i should give a little bit more background like like i'm a chess master now you could play like a million openings 
if any Wait, if you chess play chess master, at all as in your there's, there's a i'm not super familiar with chess like chess master is like there's a there's a ranking like there's a yes. you need to have a certain level to be qualified yes. to call yourself chess master correct okay all right and then, i mean Sorry. like it, it's it's a lowest level of master honestly it's like it's it's the you know it's the national master rank of getting like a rating of like 2200 but i got that title on chess.com damn it so okay i'm a master but the point is, like, there are different approaches to playing chess where you could play many different openings and you are somewhat unpredictable, but you're not going to know those openings super well. And anyone who knows them deeply will, like, defeat you, even though that person will have a wide range of openings. On the other hand, I was the type of person to specialize. I like to focus. I want to have very few openings. And, like, if you want to if you want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me, you better know this opening better than me. And you're, it's very unlikely because I'm hyper-specialized on that one opening. And what I really love about things like Le Modern and Legacy is that they, they somewhat let you stick to a deck. A lot of people disagree. Like, oh, a new card came out. They banned this. The deck is gone. Well, hey, the deck is only gone because you dumped it. I mean, you, I mean, if it goes from Tier 1 to Tier 2, a lot of people can't stand to play a Tier 2 deck. Uh, I've been sticking to this Merfolk deck the entire time through thick and thin, and I'm not complaining. And my tournament results are incredibly good compared to the compared to even to the above average. So, you know, um, if you if you really know your stuff and you really specialize in an archetype, you know the game well. I'm like, I, I you, you do have to know you grow you gotta understand magic at a higher level to adapt your archetype. But you know, like I've uh because I've specialized in it and because people support it, it's very hard to drop it. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so like that definitely helped me stick to the archetype over the years. But long story short, I love this deck. Merfolk is... It looks simple, but it's really complex because it's very fragile. There's, like, you know, two very popular cards, Silver Gill Adapt and Lord of Atlantis. Most people might be familiar with Lord of Atlantis. Blue, blue... 2-2 two, two creature, gives all your other merfolk, plus one, plus one, and island walk. And then there's Silvergill Adapt, blue, one generic for a 2-1 merfolk. You got to re reveal a merfolk for it to be played. And when it airs a battlefield, draw a card. These are like two really common standard turn two plays. But I could, I could honestly say, depending on the archetype, like depending on what you're up against, depending on how many cards in their hand or your hand or, you know, the situation... Playing one might make you instantly lose the entire match. It, it mm. the, the decisions are just so fragile. But I'm it is such a rewarding deck for me to pilot such a thing and still you know still win with it. Basically, you know I get to stick with my baby all these years. So it it looks really simple up front, but you know when if you dig down strategically, you know like. Two cards look like, you know, man, what's the difference between the two? But it could have a catastrophic outcome on the rest of the game. So, for example, Silver Gill Adept, maybe you want to get Silver Gill Adept early before someone rips it out of your hand for card draw. But on the other hand, if you put a Silver Gill Adept out early, you might be weak to Fury. For example, if you play a Lord first, a Lord second, now both Lord, both creatures are 3-3s, three and they're protected from Fury. However, if you play Silver Gill Adept first, then Lord, then Fury comes down kills both of them. And that could be enough to just completely wipe you out of the game. You're not coming back. You needed that turn. So it just shows how fragile the deck is to pilot. And anyway, I enjoy that type of magic. 
you know, this sort of make one mistake, you're smoked type of uh, type of archetype. So would you say that there's some sort of satisfaction or badge of honor from operating within these sort kinds of frail uh, tightrope parameters? Is that just yes. something you enjoy as a player? You know what? Okay, yes. It's and it and it um and it transverses more than just magic. If I reflect on my history of playing chess, if I reflect on my history how I played poker, because I played poker competitively for like four years, I had this just um I would say my style in those games were very aggressive. My style in magic is not aggressive. It's very patient, I would say. But it's complicated. And all of them are complicated. My chess style was like very aggressive, very tactical, very complicated. Same thing with poker. I would be also very aggressive, complicate a lot of situations. And then somehow I never thought of complexity as being a, a, a way to describe somebody's style. But it's somehow somehow that is that that resonates with me. If I, if I can even call Merfolk a complex deck, a lot of people will say, well, your options are very small. Well, sometimes I have like five options, but four of them are stone dead, and they all look very similar. But I know that there's like a very big difference between between all of them, or there is a difference. Yeah, so I also want to go back to what you said about your chess style, which is... Now, I'll preface to say that I don't know a heck of a lot about chess. I am, too bad. I am definitely... <laughs> I'm definitely not able to have like a, a high level chess conversation in any shape or form. But something you said, which is interesting, is that you like to almost narrow your openings and you like to um, hyper specialized in a certain style. And yes. is that also because you feel like when you're operating in that when you're operating in that narrow parameter or vacuum, then it's harder for people to be strictly better than you there as opposed to being making it more open-ended. I'm trying to figure that part out of what you said. Yes, although that happens in theory, but by today, it actually doesn't really happen very well in practice. And as okay. of today, I'm actually trying to open my opening uh, range. The problem today are just chess computers. So like say 20 years ago or 15, I should say, you know, between 15 and 20 years ago when I started playing chess, like, you know, computers weren't really that strong. They were good. They were useful tools or whatever. But, like, you know, like, I mean, they were good. They were, like, better than more or less any human being. But they they weren't good at solving openings very well yet. Um, but these days, they're really good. So if anyone knows that I play, like, this one opening and I'll go straight into it, they'll just prepare as much as they can with a computer which will just give them a bunch oh, of perfect as in they moves. can review what you did and yes, the moves because, like, and then they find a counter or yeah uh they could easily find a counter and there was a point where when i got strong enough that uh, i mean just people were just preparing for me like so hardcore and it was getting really frustrating and yeah. like and then then it becomes a game of like how much more have i prepared with a computer over them whereas now i think i should take the play a wider range make it way harder for them to prepare and just be like maybe i won't know it super well but i will be maybe worse in the opening i'm willing to take that sacrifice i'll be worse in the opening so that i can be um i'll, I'll let my knowledge and mm -hmm. and and whatever to take over in the middle game into the end game 
but like i feel like yeah i overall yeah. i am like a person of specialization generally speaking yeah and i think there's a bit of that in magic too where if mm -hmm. people are not prepared to play against the tier two or tier three or rogue deck they generally would play sub-optimally even high level players right so mm -hmm. maybe there's also would you say there's also a kind of satisfaction or enjoyment in you sort of creating this fog of war that maybe is difficult for someone to play against well the the sad thing is like merfolk is still like mostly a creature based deck so people by default have like a lot of answers like it's just a lot of removal spells and i would say when i play chess Generally speaking, if the if this position is complicated, it's symmetrically complicated. If I play poker and the situation is complicated, it's symmetrically complicated. It's not like that in Magic. It's asymmetrically complicated. There are matchups where your opponent just doesn't have a whole lot of decision decisions and right. they're super powerful. And then ah, the onus is all completely on me. So like that's a one interesting weird yep. dynamic about Magic: The Gathering is the like the complication can be completely asymmetric, um, which you know makes makes it makes it difficult. That's anyway. that's why I stopped playing Legacy Combo. I just I. I <laughs> There's so many lines as you as you as you're aware, I'm sure, and it's just I ultimately I felt like I wasn't winning. So I guess first of all, there's different people have different goals for Magic, right? Some people just enjoy playing a certain archetype, but for me, I enjoy win percentages. So yeah, if I'm thinking about picking a deck or playing a deck, it's because it's well positioned for the meta. But it's also the fact that when I was playing combo, there was just it just felt like too much work for what I was getting. Like, there's just it's too many lines to consider. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, over time, I think I just gravitated more towards playing decks that were, I'll just say it, simpler to play, more linear, um, not control decks, but I like playing mid-range, aggro, um, proactive strategies in the legacy format. I basically right. like to play decks like Delver because they're just generally good. Um, there are games where you're just kind of brainlessly making easy decisions because you just quote unquote get them but i i still prefer that to like feeling like i have full agency over every line and everything but just feeling like the wins are harder to come about and maybe that's just because i never was i never quite reached maybe your level or others levels where i became a winning enough player where i could dabble or maybe that's why i was never quite a strong winning player i don't know like it's just i i don't I don't exactly know, but I just, it just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that over time, I just kind of figured out what I like to do and what I don't like to do. Mm -hmm. And it goes to what you're saying. There's a lot of things that were just unnecessarily complicated that I made for myself. So I just created a heuristic to let's just not do that. So, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't know if that connects with you in any way. So, no, 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 like, like you, when we play magic, we have to play decks that speak to us. And one good thing about modern and legacy is that there's such a wide variety of archetypes. We there is going to be something there that's going to match our style, match the way we want to play, and maybe I know and maybe match your like your identity as a magic player. Um, and I mean, one thing that resonates with me in two ways with modern and legacy is that you can specialize in the format, and you do get rewarded for it. Just like you said, like people. Like if you play a lot of if you play a little bit of everything, you usually get slaughtered in like like modern legacy. There's not you know they they used to say though like the modern specialists, the legacy specialists, 
because those people who play consistently those formats they like know the nuances of every matchup even though they're like there's a lot of those tier two tier three decks whereas if you get somebody who plays like a little bit of everything and then the next weekend is a modern event those players struggle because all like just picking up a good deck isn't good enough like it's a big difference between standard and and modern and legacy like a big difference between standard and the non-rotating formats because there's few decks in standard and you can leverage a lot just by playing the best deck whatever the hell it is but then all of a sudden we go play modern and legacy and a lot of the decks are of a similar power level now your experience is going to be the is going to be like the the mirror breaker uh a lot of the time and the people who just play those formats are going to eke out way higher win percentages over the people who don't and then the people who can stick to one archetype if they can i mean it's not mandatory but like people who basically dig into an archetype until maybe they think it's unplayable uh are going to have a even larger edge over the people who flip-flop around from one deck to another in my opinion i'm a a person who specializes sure everything is in our opinions that's for sure uh (laughs) I want to go also back to what you said about just initially your channel being Merfolk tailored and being what you called instructional. So why and how did you make that shift into something perhaps more general appeal? And like, what was, what was the timeline first of all? So how, how long did it be? How long did it, was it an instructional Merfolk channel? It's wild. You know, I looked at the history of my videos and it's like, you know, I was averaging like 250 to like 500 views for years. I was like, how the hell did I keep this up over and over and over again? Like I was doing it part time when I was in university and you know, I'm playing magic anyway. Like that's the idea. You're doing, you're doing it anyway. You turn it into Classic content. Hobby scenario. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like I, I lose nothing turning, like make turning any of this into content and I like to turn it into content. And uh, it turned into like some side. And it was income. indirectly helping your Patreon and other things, right? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So it, so it was, so it was like like 250 to like 500 views a video up until 2017, where I make a top eight in a modern event. And you know, it was it was it was funny. Like the word on the street on that in that event, uh, some judges were telling me. Some judges told some people, there's a merfolk deck in top eight. And then the, some random person says, oh, I wonder if they watch Nikachu. And then when the other judge says, that is Nikachu. <laughs> so I... <laughs> yeah, so Nikachu does watch Nikachu, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. <laughs> so anyway, I make the top eight of this event. I, uh, I do lose in the finals against what would be Death Shadow. Turns out Death Shadow had plot armor. This was like Death Shadow's debut. Uh, before now has become a historic archetype and um but from there people are fascinated i was i should have recorded it like people in twitch chat were just losing their mind that this like you know this tier three deck is like beating up this death shadow it went into the top eight then it beat a death shadow deck to get into the finals now it's up against death shadow again so it was like it was very um very exciting for Twitch chat to see those sort of that sort of story unfold at the same time that the this this menace of a death shadow deck was uh rising to prominence um but that result basically it gave me a good boost so a lot of people got curious like who the hell is this guy what is this merfolk deck 
you know, everyone is always interested. You know, you know, you look at the top thirty-two deck lists. It's like, okay, tier two, tier one, tier one, tier one, tier one. Oh, there's another tier two. Merfolk in second place. That's unusual. Were you playing fully foiled on camera? Yep. I think I okay. had one non-foil in the deck. I think I had one non-foil. It was in the sideboard, and it just never came up. But that, that's uh, yeah. the way to do it. It's like and when you Japanese. play tournament magic. And ja- foil Japanese, almost yeah. the whole deck. Okay, yes. that's the way to do it. Either as a tournament player, I feel like you got to either play <laughs> all non-foils so they're not marked or all foils so that there's no yeah. there's no issue. Yeah. I actually have they... all the cards non-foil for Legacy, but also just in case I just don't have enough of the playables. Like, so let's say a new breakout card comes okay. out. Or I'm just like asking because it looks nicer cards. on the camera too because people will probably yeah, it looks be beautiful. Saying, this yeah. person probably is serious about merfolk in some way so yeah if they don't know who you are already so yeah 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 so the um so yeah but the point the point it being uh so i got a lot of attention and then all of a sudden my videos were getting like i think a thousand to like maybe a thousand five hundred maybe one to two thousand views a video or like it was above 800 i just know that so it gave me a good that it was like almost like a global shout out to myself. Uh, it gave me a good boost from 2017 onwards. But yeah, it was not changing much. And then all of a sudden, I'm at uh, Grand Prix Taipei, and I'm talking a bunch to a bunch of fans. This is in 2019. I'm talking to a bunch of fans, and uh, there's like Nikachu, I watch your channel all the time. And I'm like, oh, you play Merfolk? No, I play Tron. Oh, okay. Nikachu, I watch your channel all the time. I'm like, oh, do you play Merfolk? No, I play Control. Okay. Nikachu, I watch your channel all the time. Do you play Merfolk? No, I, I I play Burn. Okay, well, who the hell is playing Merfolk? Why are people even watching me? And so that, uh, and then I very quickly realized, like, most people are not actually watching for Merfolk. They watch because they liked my analysis of modern. They liked my approach to modern, my my thought process to this format, because I'm playing a super underpowered archetype, and I need to know exactly how this format ticks to a T to squeeze out every little bit of juice I can with my own archetype. So people love that type of analysis, as opposed to someone who's like playing the most powerful deck. Oh, look at me obliterate all these fools. Oh, they're not playing the most powerful deck. And then one day their deck doesn't work. My deck doesn't work. Wizards is ruining the game. Okay, I'm dumping this deck for something else. I mean, like, so I have like a different angle that people enjoy. And I realized people want my modern analysis. So then came the shift towards making like more modern centric videos and give, basically giving my opinion on modern if some card got banned if a card got unbanned i mean i made some of these news videos before but now i'd like started to go way heavier into it speculating what if this card got unbanned and those videos did better i mean they're not based they're not based on gameplay and they were getting like i don't know between two to seven thousand views a video and then i would make like the top 10 modern decks to beat videos which actually did insane they got like i think they averaged like twenty five thousand views a video it was like my money milker for the month every single month because i could do top 20 or sorry top 10 decks for february top 10 decks for for march and so on and i was able to do that for quite a few years so let's dig into this obviously Mm -hmm. there's people that 
give you feedback that, hey, I watch your stuff for your analysis, yeah. for your insights, and that's part of the motivation. Um, how big was the motivation to, quote unquote, get bigger as a YouTuber or to hit more views or I guess maybe we should go back to like, what are your goals? Like, was there, was it also at a point in time where you wanted to make this more serious and it just happened to coincide with that? Like, what was your thought process behind um, adapting your content or shifting it? I always wanted to be a big YouTuber. Uh, I didn't know when I was going to take that move because I, I knew I was in like, I, I could only take so much time for YouTube while I was part-time in university. Um, but the biggest shift... So I, I must have like started making that modern content a little bit earlier, but went harder into it in 2019 because, um, or I don't know, maybe I just don't remember the timeline very well. 2017, 2019. Okay, whatever. But um, the biggest shift to me, and this might have been the lowest moment of like my uh, my career, my YouTube career, or maybe I should like st uh, front it by saying. Um, the greatest curse I had on YouTube was that I was always growing. Like I was always getting a few more subscribers every single month. My video views were just slightly going up every single year, not exponentially, like very, very linearly. But the greatest curse that I had was that I was always growing and always felt like, okay, I'm basically doing things right. I'm, you know, uh, over time I can see, you know, I think it took like six years to get to 10,000 subscribers. Something, something like that. It just took for forever. But, you know, like there was there came a point where I was like, this is not really going to go anywhere. Like this is the growth is way too slow. Like this is terribly slow. Like it's it's going to end at some point. It's just going to stop. And I don't know when it's going to be, but it's it's just going to come all to an end like somewhere or I could like I could just keep it going. But I'm not I'm not like that. I like I like being good at what I do. Like I like to spend I'm a chess master. Damn it. Didn't become a chess master. Just, you know, playing casually. I had to study. I had to work hard to figure out how to basically torture all my opponents over the board. So and I, and I, and I learned lessons from every single uh every single defeat that i ever had and i built up on uh and i built myself on that so you know i'm willing to learn how to you know beat this youtube game so the first thing i i thought was well i need to have like broader topics like like way broader than you know what i was doing or i i, I figured if i was I think I started off making still some slightly more interesting, broader, like modern topics. I had like a, was it a modern band tier list thing? I think, yeah, I started making some videos about the modern band tier list, but they were like short, funny, sweet. So like that helped improve the channel. And then I decided like, if I want to go bigger, I need to make slightly like even more broader topics. And then this got into like cheater videos, but also like I made some, like I, I, I have I would like to think I have a healthy balance between like dramatic videos and like really fun, lighthearted stuff. Like I have like Easter egg videos and on Magic the Gathering and combo videos, but stuff that at least could reach a wider audience and um I'm just honestly, I'm just how how do I put it? Crossing this there's some like uh Asian proverb about this. I'm uh crossing the river feeling for the stones 
you know I don't have any direct path but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to walk this way if there's a stone okay I'm gonna keep walking that way oh no more stone okay I'm gonna walk the other direction so this is how, this is basically where I am now with my approach to YouTube something that's very interesting I think I should just ask right now is because everyone, it's so different for everybody. But what is your YouTube end game? Because when you're saying you had 10,000 subs and you're thinking maybe that is in some shape or form not enough, like what is enough? Is there an enough? Is there an end game? In some sense, like I was just completely dumbfounded. How do these YouTubers, like when I was getting like 5,000 views a video, sometimes that 20,000 modern decks to beat video would, you know, would, would do well for me. I was just wondering, how the hell do these YouTubers keep cranking out videos that get like 750,000 to a million views per video? Because like, these are the people I was like looking at. How do, how, does, how do they do that? And I would be like, my God, it would be so amazing to have like a video with a million views. And like, as my videos were getting better and getting more popular, you know, I would hit, I would hit 50,000. Like, well, this is insane. Then 100,000, then 200,000, then 500,000, then a million. And then at some point, like I got really numb to these numbers, especially once it got like to a million, which was like basically like my goal, which seemed impossible. It, it sounds it, like an insurmountable number, yeah. Like yeah, it's hard it's, to even it, physically imagine a million people watching something, right? Mm -hmm. But it, like, I guess in some degree, maybe I should have raised my goals even higher. There is no end game to YouTube. I mean, it's like it's like a grind, like standard. You keep doing it, and as it changes, you keep going. So there's like there's no way to end. There's I mean, you you end it when you want to stop, but um, uh yeah i i don't really have an end game really for youtube and it's just you know it's your job you just you do you make you make videos you take youtube's adsense revenue <laughs> when you see when you initially see other people having videos with those types of insane views is there a type of wonder and you just want to figure out how to do it or is there a sense of competitiveness that you want to be like i want i i can do that too like i can study is is it similar to like studying chess and wanting to work your way up the ladder to be a, a chess master, just being the best of what you choose to involve yourself in? Yes, it's it's both. It's it's well, it should be both to most people. The problem for me, it would be ideal if I felt competition in YouTube, and I'm not like the best YouTuber or anything by by any stretch, and I'm. I'm a lazier YouTuber than the the, the other MTG YouTubers, but um, it would be more motivating for me, like in other games, like if if there was a more competitive element to it for me. Uh, but I mean, like like anything in life, there is some sort of strategy. Um, if if anyone is doing it, then you can do it. In theory, I mean that's just basically how it what it go like what it comes down to. I mean, like, there's, and there's never, there's never a moment that like you're completely locked out of the game because new people are showing up all the time. You know, for for the last ten years, I've heard, you know, MTG content creation is saturated. Well, I've been hearing that every single year, and then every year someone new shows up, and then people are still growing. So obviously, it's not saturated the way they think it is. 
what is it like also to live the last decade of competitive and magic content in general? I feel like in 2012, 13, 14, YouTube wasn't as big of a thing for magic. I just feel like now all my magic con consumption is, maybe it's just me too. Maybe this is some sort of bias or just mm -hmm. where I'm coming from. But I feel like back then all the magic consumption wasn't on Twitch and YouTube yet. It was still a lot of the written word. I'm wondering if like when you started back then making instructional content, was that almost a bit of going against the grain or kind of countercultural? Or did you ever thought, did you ever think that you should have, or did you have any points where you, I guess the question is, did you have any points back then where you doubted yourself in any way? Like where you thought maybe I should stick to non-video content or other ways to do it? No, uh, no, I was 100% into video. Like I love video, making videos. I actually have a film degree. No one knows this about me. I have a film degree. So like when I was very young, I loved, you know, I loved drawing, I love art, I loved animation, and I loved making videos with like camcorders and stuff. So I love, like I said, I love the camera, the camera loves me. And it just so happened that YouTube works so well for me. Because when I was in film school, it was such a heavy thing to learn. Um, like I'm sort of a lone wolf. I work better not, I mean, I can work in a team, but I think I work better outside of a team by myself. Uh, maybe I don't work best, but I, I think I work better. Uh, <laughs> I feel better when I just work uh, by myself. And I can do that in chess. I can do that in poker. I can do that in magic. But when it came, like, but in filmmaking, well, you need, you need like, Someone needs to be a director. You need a camera person. You need someone with a boomstick. You need like a bunch of actors. And all of a sudden, you're incredibly dependent on a lot of people. And that was like a real wake-up call for me. Like, this might not be for, for me. But by the time I graduated a long time ago, there was like this one last conference. It was almost like foreshadowing my life in some way. They said, there's this new thing that all of you need to get involved with. And it's going to change everything. And it's YouTube where you can make any videos you want. Because they like one thing that they like taught us in film school is like you don't have as much control over your content as, as much as you want. If you want funding, then those, <laughs> whoever's funding you- There's a you, machine you have no, to go through. Yeah, they, whoever's funding you has a huge influence on what like what goes into the final cut or even what's in the script or you know anything, like whatever you're producing. Um, but YouTube, you make what basically whatever the hell you want. And also you can do it very independently. Like there's so many YouTube channels, just some person talking about latest topics and stuff. And they have like millions of subscribers, millions of views and stuff like that. So um, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but like this would mix a lot of, you know, uh, th this would be a great match for me uh, and as it has uh where was oh so you started this question from you know like how did it how works did we... in the road basically have yeah. you considered earlier on your career trying different things or were you just so committed and dedicated to youtube that you were just going to try to make it work no, no no i was i was i knew youtube was always around i always wanted to have a youtube channel in fact i wanted to be a chess or poker channel and i thought i would just start get my feet wet with like magic the gathering because that was just what i was doing most of at the time i was just right. most passionate about playing magic and uh for anyone who's who has never tried content creation 
creating videos is brutally hard work so you have to love what you're doing love the process or like at least love the content that you're making because the process of turning into videos and putting on the internet is a lot of work and usually just like turns a lot of people off once they realize oh this is this is taking up too much time screw this i could play more magic I can't believe it took this much effort to make a compelling five-minute video with a strong hook and a great uh, title and thumbnail and all that stuff, right? Yeah, so, but, I, but I know what you're talking about. Like back in 2010, there would be like a lot of written content. So 2010-ish and maybe around... So there's going to be some sort of bleed from 2010 to 2014. We're transitioning to, into like the streaming era, the, uh, the YouTube era. But personally, I, I'm a terrible writer just absolute trash i don't like writing some people ask me to write articles i don't believe I say, that because how, nope. how do you make your videos then i just turn the camera on and just go at it seriously then, you don't have a script you must have like an outline i Wait. you it depends depending Mentally, on the topic when i had like ranting discussion videos i might have like some um like i'll i'll just have some like like points that I, I want to go through or make sure that like my video flows in this direction. And I would just, I just have to look at the side every so often to make sure that I'm, I'm moving in the right order. Uh, but that's about it. And the rest is just completely improvised. And these days, no, I got, I got nothing. I just basically say whatever I want. Um, it's not perfect. It's very slow. In fact, and I just cut out all the garbage. And then whatever you see, whatever the final product is, that's what it is. Oh, but I do have a live channel where, yeah, I can't do that. Right. So, like, you see all the garbage. You see the good stuff and all the bad stuff. And I have to improvise for basically an hour. <laughs> is that why you call yourself, to use your words, like, lazier compared to other YouTubers? Is that part of it? Or is there? can you explain what it means to be lazier than maybe other MTG YouTubers? I'm bad at time management. I'm, like, really, really, really bad at time but management. But how do you know they're great at time management? I, I don't. But I know I, I'm I know I'm terrible. <laughs> like that that's all that's all I can I can say. I can well, I can say. What do you say, mean by that? Just just like you end up spending more or less time on videos than you would like, or or what? Yes, I think I spend a lot less time, a lot less than average. I definitely spend a lot less than average than I would say like top YouTubers because they're cranking out stuff constantly, and it's by the sounds of their schedules, like like they're just constantly making stuff. And it's not like I'm even spending my time doing anything else, like making you know, content on Twitter or anything, making tweets, I'm doing absolutely nothing. So um, my if, but like, my days are like fractured out, I don't have my own personal studio, I'm like in the middle of like a living room, which is like directly connected to a kitchen. So I got like manage time with my wife, like when I can record things. Um, and, you know, dance around her like lunch schedule. But another thing is I like ideally like four to five hours completely uninterrupted i don't really like to do something for two hours and then i have to take a break or something so like i'm i am the most productive if you just give me this really long stretch of uninterrupted time uh which is just harder to achieve right now um yeah so i should record more stuff should more edit more stuff I think if I spent like four hours a day doing all this, you know, I'd probably have like a million more videos out. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you have a creative or a maker's schedule, right? Just just a big block of time. Like I, I, I also really don't like having things so scheduled down where it's an hour here, an hour there, because yeah. things take longer than you expect. Interruptions happen. And it just puts a lot of unnecessary 
in my opinion, strain on myself. Like just, just why? Right. Just mm -hmm. like, especially if this is your full-time thing. I mean, for me, it's a full-time thing only during weekends, but uh, <laughs> I, I cherish the Saturdays and Sundays, like recording this now, like, Hey, here, here, this is Sunday morning for me right now. Like I can, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, in the next hour I have to do something. So, um, right. it, it just, it just helps me mentally. And I, I don't know, like, I guess, are you hard on yourself? Like for thinking, you should do more, 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 or no, is that just uh, a, something a, you can manage? You, you know what? The algorithm gives me problems. So, like, when the views are going up, I get more lazy. I got 99 it's problems, like, and the algorithm is one of them, right? Like, well, like, the thing is, like, when the views are, like, skyrocketing, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Sit I don't back. have to do anything. All these I'm views are... I'm Yeah. We're good. And, yeah. and sometimes it can be like that for a month. Like and then and then the and then the views start going down and they're going down. It's like okay, okay, we got it, we got to get back. And is to that work. is that Here's just the pen. is that just the algorithm itself independently yeah. doing their its thing, or is that mm -hmm. your complacency adding to it in some both? Way? I, I don't know say both. Yeah, yeah. I get. I I I shouldn't be complacent. Period. Okay, so you know, I like 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 yeah. I shouldn't be complacent at like at at at, at any point. I should be just like all right. Let's. It's aim for like 10 million views in a month or something <laughs> and i should work as hard as i can to make that happen it's and it's possible i think it's possible what what is your this is funny i ask people like what's your relationship with magic but i'll ask you what's your relationship with the algorithm oh i have a good relationship with the algorithm the algorithm is really date it's it's very data centric i mean the only unhealthy thing is like you know when 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 like i said when things are going well i like i just like i just I, I mean, seriously, like when when I was getting like the most views I was ever getting on my channel, and I was making like a hundred or two hundred thousand views a day. I was just turning on my computer, open my YouTube analytics, and just watch <laughs> the numbers go up, just watch the subscriber count go up. I'm like, this is, and I was on such cloud Had nine at the time, like, or whatever it was. This is amazing. Refresh up. the comments. Ah, oh, this is everything mm -hmm. to me. This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. What a waste of time. I did that for like two and a half weeks or something before, like you know, the momentum started to go down. Just grab just myself. Just viewing. Just, just like sitting yeah. there, sitting back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that was great. <laughs> but is there is there some sort of uh, this is something that you've kind of taught me on a much larger, smaller scale because I'm much smaller as a creator. But the algorithm also feeds into your subsequent moves, right? So if you if you hit the big time like that, does it just give you great exposure for? Your next content, like I, I guess, I'm trying to figure out how yes. it works. If, yeah, if you can will. maybe explain it for lay people like me, like like if I mean, if if you have a really big video, it can influence like that same person seeing another video of yours. So it'll it, just it, keep boosting your subsequent videos. For well, a while. so long as they're good. Oh, okay, it still balances with some sort of metrics if, like if you have CTR, a complete like time. you know there's there's a lot of YouTube channels out there I've seen they've got like they got like a like I'll see they'll have a hundred thousand or a million subscribers because of one big video and then the rest of their videos are like a hundred views thousand views yeah. It's yeah. Just, the rest of the channel is stone dead so mm -hmm. like like and then and then, so like you know they had this one great hit you know the one hit wonder and then like you know. You, if you don't really capitalize on that, you fail, and well, you're back. You're back down into the pits. Like it's not nothing's permanent. So how do you capitalize on that? I assume you want to. So when you when something blows up for you in terms of one of your videos, are you trying to reverse engineer and study why it 
work the way it did and just try to repeat that as much as you can I, i'm trying to figure out your process i'm just gonna that. repeat like what mr b said like the your number one priority is to make great videos you need to make oh, sorry i don't want to say you need to make awesome videos you can't make good you can't make like a little bit above average you need to make amazing videos and that is how you go insane and that's it you know and I watch my if if you like your look at your video and I'm not, I don't want to discourage anyone from uploading anything, but like I I when I watch my videos, you know I'm like I really enjoy them. It's like this is great, this is awesome. I'm having a lot of fun watching this thing. Maybe not all of them are like that, but like that's essentially that's that's essentially the formula. And if you if you make great videos, you like YouTube is going to reward you for it. But if you start making stinkers, then you know YouTube is not going to reward you for them because it's going to do the opposite. It's going to because it's going to continue to show the awesome, awesome, awesome videos to the other people. What makes an awesome, awesome, awesome magic video? It's hard. It's, it's hard to hard hard to articulate. It's kind of like you know it when you see it, kind of thing. Or? Something like that, you know. One thing I wanted to do when I reinvigorated my channel, I'm like, I wanted to make videos that were fun to watch. Like, you know, there's a lot of videos out there that are like, you enjoy the channel, you you watch the video because, you know, it's part of your daily routine or whatever, and you enjoy it, and it's, you know, it's it's part of your life, they're part of yours, but, like, some sort of magic is lost in in watching those types of videos i wanted to make videos that like if you watch it this is fun like this is great and you need to like watch another one like i i wanted to bring like a, a sense of that at least to 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 my content when when watching it so it's going into the realm of actual entertainment like it's not just like something i watch because i need something to watch but more like something that I may still think about maybe an hour from now. Is that fair? Or I may actually want to share or. Well, to be like, honest, to I think my, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of my videos are like just junk food. And I had no problem with that. Like you might forget my video. Junk food is fun, right? Junk yeah, food is junk enjoyable. Junk food is fun. You know, I have a junk food channel. Some of them are impactful. Like, especially like, for example, um, I made a video because I'm at my core, I'm a competitive player. Like a lot of people think I'm a commander player. It's like, Nikachu, you don't know anything about commander. Well, how do you not know this commander exists or any of these interactions? You're acting like a complete idiot. I'm like, I'm not a commander player. I don't know anything about commander. I'm a competitive player. So I made like videos, like for example, uh, on uh, mana weaving, which I think is a very polarized topic, but it's like undisputedly like the most common way people cheat. Wait, is it really? I thought it was just straight up just cheating. Like, no, no, it's no. It is straight up cheating, but it's the most common way people cheat, and a lot of people don't even know that they're cheating while doing it. Like they just think they're allowed to do oh, it. Oh, like, I see, I see, I see what, what you mean. What I was it's like, oh, it's fair shuffling or something. Yeah, well, I mean, and then even after the, I made the video, actually, I made um. So first, I made a video how to shuffle because you want to protect yourself against mana weaving, and I also showed people, hey, if you're doing this, like you know, sorting the lands as evenly as possible. 
that's called mana weaving. That's cheating. Don't do that. That's why I'm right. teaching you how to shuffle. Like the default excuse people make for mana weaving is like, I don't know how to shuffle. Well, now you don't have that excuse because I showed you how to shuffle. I sh and I also showed you how to catch cheating with other people who shuffle. Mm -hmm. And then I got like a really heated comment section about this. And then I decided, well, okay, let's tackle this topic. Let's make a dedicated video on mana weaving um, because it's like really important to know. And also, you know, I don't mind touching on the topic of cheating. You know, we got cheating is a common theme in my, in my uh, YouTube videos. So, uh, yeah, I explained. I tried to articulate the best way possible to someone who does not know statistics, because this is this is the uh, this is the pain point. If you do not understand statistics, then you cannot cannot understand why mana weaving is wrong. It's impossible. At least that's one reason why people would keep mana weaving. They just don't understand. So I try to art give them some. I try to teach in some way someone who doesn't know statistics at least the concept of what random and not random looks like. And in addition to that, um, no, I didn't in addition to anything. So, no, no. And I also, I think in that video made people aware that like even though you were taught to mana weave by your friends did not mean it was okay. In tournaments, it's completely illegal you try to do that in front of a judge they will disqualify well i don't know what they'll do maybe they'll be nice to you there are say, many hey. things that we learn or pick up in life that end up not being what we expect it to be mm -hmm. or may actually just be flat out wrong or not useful right so and the problem is so people teach people how to mana weave apparently a lot of commander decks came pre-weaved according to some sources um which in, like gave the impression like Wait, hey, what, what does that mean because i thought you have to shuffle the commander deck it's just the way it's laid out you mean it's, when it's you like unbox it. uh, according to some people some i don't know if it was a commander product but some pre-built decks came like like basically the mana was somewhat sorted so that you can just open it and just play it right off the top apparently according oh. to, i don't know i have not I, I don't know this. either so okay i, I, I don't I, buy commander to... product so i have no idea but multiple people yeah. said like like this existed so i'm just going to believe them um, there's a lot of people, and I, I can resonate with this, there's a lot of people who don't like the randomness because it ruins the game to them. Like, if you only play one or two games of Commander a month, you're going to want to hope to play your deck. Yes. Like, I play tons of Magic. If I get mana screwed in one move on game to the next or game, one right? match next like match. F it, i don't care yeah move on like there's a million matches ahead of me in my lifetime but for someone who's more casual and they barely yep. play it really sucks to like buy all the cards and then you set yourself up for your game night and like and then you flood out or you get mana screwed or something but also well a lot of people mana weave because their mana bases suck uh <laughs> that, that too like yeah. that and they don't realize it. they don't realize what's yeah. like the minimum number of mana for their deck so like it increases the odds of you know them mana flooding that, or that, man that, screwed. that bleeds ter dangerously into cheating territory because from mm -hmm. what i know about cheaters not that i'm one of them but like the way that cheaters rationalize is that i don't want to be defeated by bad luck or variance yeah. like, i want yeah. to i deserve to mm -hmm. have a game where I'm not mana screwed every yeah. time or whatever. And then it, it becomes a slippery slope. Yeah. Then then it becomes like, how do I get an edge here? How do I, you know, I because I because it's not no longer about your 
your opponents. It's more about I'm the protagonist and I deserve X, Y, and Z. Yeah, so, so, so I conceded that if everyone at the table did it and they know what they're doing, they all know it's technically cheating that I think it's okay. So if they're all complicit. If we're all complicit. Yeah, if they're all, it. it's like a rule zero thing. I think right. that is fine. It's like, like oh, no I, one's... let's all start with a basic land in our hand or something. You know, that kind of... Yes, exactly. Or some people have like, you know, have three extra free mulligans, like whatever, mulligan to whatever you want. It's like, yeah. it's, a, it's the same deal. Uh, however, I think it's super important that people spread the word. This is technically cheating. You are manipulating your deck. And if you ever teach this to somebody, and that's the biggest problem, it's just casual teachers, it's casual players teaching bad habits to newer players. If you teach this to anybody, also let them know this is cheating because what inevitably happens is people bring this to the local game store. They bring it to tournaments. When you make that bridge to go from commander to playing your FNM, uh, they bring that stuff all the time. Like, yeah, someone like pulls out their deck, shuffles once, gives me their uh, asks for a cut. No, 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 no. I'm gonna shuffle that thing six times, because who knows what the hell you did with that thing, and mm -hmm. um, and you can see it, you can see it in like the forums and comments on posts about like you know the uh, the shuffling algorithm of Arena. There's so there's hundreds, hundreds of people complaining that oh, I mean, there is a little bit of manipulation on Arena, but it's actually to help you, not hurt you. They're like, mm -hmm. I get so mana screwed on Arena, whereas in, in paper, I never get mana screwed. Well, of course not, because you're like, you're mana weaving. These are the mana weavers just uh, raising their voices. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, that video on mana weaving was super polarized. Like, it was, it was almost like 50-50, whether you were with me or you weren't with me. And... um but uh, so that wasn't necessarily a fun video, but that was a super informative video to hopefully make at least like there's a lot of competitive topics that are just not really articulated on YouTube because there is not many big platform like competitive YouTube channels like there's. Yeah, there really are. I don't aren't. know if there's any over a hundred thousand. Or the magic really. channel itself just basically just features the matches, right? So there's not yeah, really uh, uh, yeah, discussion yeah, on certain it's, things. It's, yeah, it's like it's like it's it's gameplay stuff. Like for the most part, you know, you're a big YouTuber because you're actually making more casual content. Um, if you're a competitive YouTuber, you're not making <laughs> you're not making casual content. But if you're a competitive YouTuber, generally speaking, you're you're on the smaller range, or you're just making gameplay, as you just said. I think that's the sweet spot, right? Is this so-called edutainment where you're entertaining, yeah. but you're also somehow informing or educating the populace. It, it sounds <laughs> like that's what you did with this video. Yeah. I mean, I did that with a lot of cheater videos. A lot of people came up to me and they said, Nikachu, thank you so much. I shuffle and cut my opponent's decks all the time now. I was like, good. Like, never, never give your opponent, never give your opponent the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter who they are. Don't give them that window to take advantage of you and there's tons of them out there so uh yeah. protect and, and yourself. like they they may, like the, the thing is like a lot of them are not doing it intentionally or i don't say they are doing it intentionally but i get the sense that they just don't know what they're doing they think they can game the system like this it's like this is a legal thing that they can do and if they get away with it then great and if they don't get away with it well whatever <laughs> You know, this is it's like some sort of sports thing where, you know, you put chalk on your hands or something so that 
like i i don't know that 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 actually that's different because that gets into a kind of like is it a real physical edge versus a mental edge and that's mm -hmm. like and i don't know maybe some people feel mentally better for doing certain things in magic i'm not saying mana weaving is one of them because that's straight up cheating but yeah. it, maybe there's certain rituals that they have like I have no idea. Like, there's a million of them, but like, there was a cheater like who said like edge. it was their ritual to mana weave their deck. A lot of people tell me that it's just like an OCD sort of thing. Like, they just yeah. feel bad. They feel wrong if they don't mana weave their deck. So they got to mana weave their deck, and then after that, then they start shuffling it. Um. So I mean, I don't know what to say about those people. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I can do to help those people. Like, except like, some people say, "Can I mana weave my? If I shuffle afterwards, can I mana weave my deck?" And I'm like. Oh, you have to sh not only shuffle, you got to shuffle really well, and please I do it. I feel like this is 15, where someone's like personal times. ethical moral system comes into play. Because think about it: if you have to ask somebody, like, is it okay to do this? Maybe just don't do it. Like, I, but I, it, yeah, but like, if if you if the if you're having some psychological issue letting it go for some reason, I, I I'm like I I want to give some sort of path forward to some of those because I got a lot of people like that. They just, they have to do it. They have I'm compelled. To. Yeah, they, yeah, there's no way they're moving forward with their life until the deck is mana weaved. I cannot play like, magic unless I do this yeah. kind of so thing. So I, I have like here I have a video on shuffling, riffle shuffle, good riffle shuffles like twenty times. Okay, you can mana weave. I will and then make sure your <laughs> opponent also shuffles your deck like seven times. So Okay. That's the that's the only circumstance I'm letting this fly. Basically, you do need to shuffle as much as possible so that mana weaving was completely pointless. But like, and that's the thing. That's for like most people get the aha moment. They like realize, oh, mana. We if I shuffle this much, like I don't need to mana weave in the first place. That's usually the the tipping point for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. maybe it will be for them. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So was this the? I know you said you lived a pretty clean non non-controversy filled life as a content creator but was this like the closest you got to getting like because you said it's polarizing right so getting getting yeah. backlash or getting dissenting opinions on the internet that kind of thing was this the biggest thing that happened for you in terms of so-called controversy maybe like i get so many hate comments in my comment section i don't i love them I love the rage-filled comments. Do you, you know? really love yeah, them, or do you just, I, did you just build up a thick skin? I Well, maybe it's a combination of the two. Like, I have videos about, like, raging Magic the Gathering players in chat, like people who rage off in chat, because I, I love I those people other who day. did it to it's me. Just, it's funny, yeah. I, I had so much fun, like, and I don't get those anymore, James. I don't, no one rages off at me in chat anymore. I think the last time someone did it, I played some like you have really to use stupid. An alt account like you have to I use probably an have to. Yeah, yeah. I got I got an alt on. I'm and... not that famous, so people still rage at me all the time. <laughs> yeah, yes, I miss those days. Like I have so much fun. Like wow, you, you are so passionate. I had someone tell me nothing. It must, I had someone tell me in a game three like it must be great to get perfect draws. I, I was playing a legacy league and I I just didn't want to respond. I just I just muted the <laughs> chat. But I was thinking. I think it's pretty good, pretty, it's somewhat reasonable to get amazing draws when you play like Brainstorm Ponder and you're constantly mm -hmm. like cycling through your deck and seeing way more cards than the other person who is not playing a blue deck. Uh, I didn't want to say that though. I was just like, let let them salt, whatever, you know? Yeah, so like, but but I also know very early on in my YouTube career, 
any of and I, I understand like most people just don't like the hate comments period they just can't stand them and i honestly i do get like more positive comments than i get hate comments but i do get a lot of hate comments even on my live channel people constantly say like i'm not pronouncing the cards correctly i'm not reading the cards correctly i'm not interpreting the cards correctly I'm not reading the chat i'm missing missing people's comments so like you know i'm, I'm constantly getting hate on that channel even now but the the point is all the comments boost the video it doesn't matter what it is. YouTube can't tell if it's like a good comment or a bad comment. It's just those like it, someone interacted. Sadly, however, also for the algorithm, that person will be back on future yep. videos to like hate on them. But I don't take, I really don't take it personally. Um, there's, yeah, like, so like if it's a good comment, great. If it's a bad comment, also, also great. Never, also give it the heart. You know, I heart like every, almost every single comment that I read. So, um, so like if they, yeah, if they attack me in any way, call me an idiot. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to heart your comment as well. But I'm going to, I'm going to ask like what came first chicken or the egg, right? Did you develop a harder skin or a shield towards that? Or did you just not give a fuck from the very beginning, even, uh, even think, before you were a content creator? I think, yo, know, I, I didn't care. I've never given an F like my entire life. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, I do have a very, very, very thick skin in that regard. Um, uh yeah it's just how it is i mean as a as a pretty hardcore competitive player i mean you got to go through a lot of crap in order to achieve the goals that you you want to achieve it's always a hard road so like uh, and i can persevere because i have that thick skin can you give me some advice on how to better not those let those kind of things affect me let's say that hypothetically i did something that made the made me not popular in the eyes of some folks in the magic community like how how do you how does one navigate that it i guess it depends like i don't mind people attacking me because they don't like my opinion or whatever but i am um yeah so like i've been attacked for my opinion millions of times so i that 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 i don't mind uh but i have never you know like or very rarely, I would say, anyone put my feet to the flames or whatever uh, within the community. Like, I personally haven't been part of anything particularly controversial. But if you want to talk about, like, the comment section, I just know that, like, these, it's it's all a benefit. Like, if you can, it, even if you get someone angry over a topic, like, that is a, that is to some degree, like, a win because you made someone passionate enough to like make that like your video obviously there's an emotional reaction yeah there sure. was an emotional reaction to this video and um at least with mana weaving it was like somewhat balanced <laughs> there's like the people for mana weaving the people against mana weaving um uh it wasn't all completely one side one-sided that would that would have looked really awkward unfortunately mm -hmm. i had a lot of people change come their out mind and make, like a cheating is good video or something crazy yeah so yeah it's not like, like that. what are you doing you were for you're against the cheaters now you're joining them so i have no idea what this video would have been like if it would have been the the complete opposite way around but in terms of just like hate comments i mean i just they they make me they make me stronger I eat them for breakfast. Let's use an example because I know that you you've been active in the or actively playing and commentating on the modern community or the modern meta game. Mm -hmm. There was a time, um, as far as I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, that you were very very strongly, maybe one of the most vocal voices, calling for bans on cards like mm -hmm. Mox Opal. 
And yeah. I, I think and that... And it's banned now. It, it is and banned now. I helped now. contribute to it. You can, you can blame me. Some people still... They actually come into my comments section. Right, they so ask, that is something... They ask me, is it okay to unban Mox Opal now? Like, these people were there before it got banned. Like, you can't ban this card, Nikachu. It got banned. Now they're asking my permission. Hey, Modern is so bad right now. Is it time to unban Mox Opal? And fuck no. Yeah, that's staying, staying banned forever. It's a Mox! <laughs> Might be moron. time to ban the One Ring, but that's, that's a whole other it's discussion. It's a Mox! Those are yeah. restricted to vintage for crying out loud. And this thing works even better. You can play four of them in one deck. Anyway. Well, there is that mox that no one plays that lets you cast what? Is it legendary creatures or things? I, I forget. It was it was it was played for like a second in this uh, legacy uh mono white death and taxes mm -hmm. legends deck. Um but I digress. I'm just saying in, in terms of this mox opal situation, this is definitely a topic. When it comes to bands of mm -hmm. any kind, I think magic players are just very emotional, very invested. So how did you navigate that? Did you just let it slide off your, your back like water off a turtle? Or Oh, it was nothing. I mean, like, uh, because, again, it's like it's a topic that, you know, you're going to get like a good chunk of people realizing, oh, my God. Like the, the thing with Mox Opal is that it was it was like institutionalized into the format for a very long time. And, you know, if you join modern, it was just that was just a card in the format. And from my perspective, like Affinity was always a top three deck uh, in the format, or very often it was. And like it was the deck you were supposed to have a lot of sideboard cards for. If you don't have sideboard cards, you're going to get stomped by Affinity. Why are you going to get stomped by Affinity? Because they're playing with Moxon. That's why. People used to say things like, like the most ridiculous analysis, like, oh, we, you know, the, to, to bring the power level of Affinity down, all they have to do is like ban Cranial Plating or Arcbound Ravager. No! you get rid of the moxin you fools so um it's usually so the I, acceleration historically that yeah, has like, been I, more problematic i mean this is what made you know this is what brought people trust to my my analysis and i was very accurate with bannings like i was very active like this card is ban worthy this card is banned worthy. this card is getting banned it's going to get banned you just wait for it you know i was able to call out oko like it had like one really good event i'm like f this oko is getting banned Get this next out of month. here and yeah. uh i went down with the ship too because i like i bought a bunch of okos for my merfolk deck because it was that good i was actually mm -hmm. one of the very few people to say like oko is insane when mm -hmm. a lot of people thought like oh this is just a dirty nonsense card but then everyone realized yeah this card is insane and then i was i i don't know maybe i was the first person maybe one of the very uh, early people to say this card is definitely getting banned and then it def definitely got banned uh, yeah, it's very polarizing. You get people who are like, um, "No, Splinter Twin should never get banned. This should never get banned." You have the you have these purists that like that everything should stay. We got to print more cards. But the problem with these purists is that uh, you'll eventually just like wash out a billion decks out of the metagame. You'll just have these very insanely powerful and powerful decks. Whereas if you ban the most powerful cards, you can like broaden the range of decks in 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 the modern metagame or just in Magic in general. Um, uh, but like, yeah, I I got a lot of flack. Like the affinity, like you you know, so many artifact archetypes played Mox Opal, and they're just all after me. Like I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's, why, a, what? it's a staple. It's a pillar of the format. Yeah, it's kind a pillar of, of the deal. format. You get all these people. Like my deck is. You get a lot of people who are like, my deck did nothing wrong. Like they're playing like a tier three deck with Mox Opal in it. Well, you know, I don't care. This is Clark Clan Ironworks archetype that's playing with it pretty good. 
and right. you're just going to get hit with the splash damage. People, like when Faithless Looting got banned, it's like, you're going to ban the Mardu Pyromancer deck, which at that point, there like there was a there was a cute deck uh, called Mardu Pyromancer that used Faithless Looting, and it was playing it a really fair way, super mm-hmm. fair, nothing oppressive. But then all of a sudden, like a million other archetypes start playing Faithless Looting super oppressively. You're dead on turn two, or effectively dead on turn two. Um, and, and I'm like, so then some people bring up the, the argument, well, if you ban Faithless Looting, you're going to kill off the Mardu Pyromancer deck. And my response was, where's the Mardu Pyromancer deck? It can't even compete in this metagame. So mm-hmm. like, anyway, so the, anyway, you're, you're going to get people who really heated on one side or the other, but like, that's just how it is. You know, that's just, that's just how it is. But you build some fans from those people. They, they, they love to hate your ideas or they they hate they they like some they hate most or they like most they hate some you know it's, i guess it's people just... also love maybe folks that have a backbone that are, are consistent which it sounds like maybe i i would say you are in in yeah. some respects right i yeah. mean if you i mean there's, there's a lot of youtubers out there i mean if they were afraid of criticism i mean they would have been dead a long time they would have their, their youtube career would have been dead a long time ago Right. just would never have got off the ground just tons that you you have to i know for a lot of people i understand you know one hate comment like undoes like 20 positive comments and for that like you you do what you have to do some people just like block those people like crazy or like you know ban them from the comment section or they just don't read the comments but i mean ideally you should read the comments but you uh if you want to go big, you're going to be a public figure. And part of being a public figure is, you know, people are going to make random opinions about you and some good, some bad. So there's nothing, you know, one, one thing that's really important to know, all the top YouTubers, no matter who you are, get haters. doesn't matter. You could be the most cleanest, purest person in the world. They've got haters too. You cannot dodge haters. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part mm-hmm. of, it's part of the job, I would say. So how do you view your platform? Like, do you feel like you have certain, like a certain mission statement or certain set of values that you want to, I don't know if it's so mm-hmm. lofty the way I've described it that way, not maybe not lofty period, but just the way I've described, maybe it sounds a little bit too highbrow, but how do you see your, your platform? Maybe do you have a sense of responsibility or things that you should is should not do? Uh, yeah, it's like, but it, it's more to do with like you know how how strong my channel has reached now, you know like if I make a video, and it gets a million views, how do I feel about everyone knowing about this topic? And not only that, if I start the trend of making this video, then there's going to be like six other so channels. So can you that be at peace with yourself, like with everything you put out? It sounds like yeah, right? you. I mean, you have to you have to feel good about like like every piece of content that you 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 put out, like. You know, for example, there's a few times people have um, brought me some information about, like, their local game store that they, they optically did something, like, sort of scummy. But it's not really that, like, it's probably within their right to do. It looks bad. But, like, they, like they're like, maybe you'd be interested in making a video about this and bring this to justice. And I'm like, do I want to destroy this local game store's career over this video? And even if they righted the ship from there on out, I mean, like, this video would be out there for forever. So, I mean, I have to, like, um, 
So I, I got it. I now think about it. You know, like you, you know, you. Uh, these videos are sort. I mean, as long as they're up there, they're there. And yeah. Anyway, the so I, I, I sometimes have to double think about like certain topics. At the end of the day, you have to make still videos that resonate with you. I'm a competitive player, and I find it just insane that nothing happens to cheaters. I'm not even talking about Magic the Gathering. People have cheated tons in chess and poker. Nothing happens to these people. They don't get sued. They don't go to jail. Nothing. It is like if you want to, the the most legal way to rob this world is just commit fraud by like cheating in a game. But like the only thing we have to com combat it at all is like social media. That's like the only thing we have. Uh, bring social awareness to 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 not only just the people but the techniques and uh, to help prepare help prepare people. But that's a, that's a great example. Let's say that there's some allegations or evidence about an LGS, let's say somewhere, somewhere, so, somewhere, somewhere. I just used yeah, the yeah, somewhere exactly. twice, but right. let's just say in, in somewhereville, somewhere, country, province, yeah. wherever, right? <laughs> and let's say that hypothetically, the evidence is overwhelming. You just mm -hmm. know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is bad. Mm -hmm. Now... Does it become a responsibility to shed light on that? Maybe it's not a video, but but just to bring that out into the open, if there's something that you believe is just 100% wrong for them to do. Yeah, yeah. Like so far, like up to this point, it's like it's been like sort of petty, the the types of things. Like like somewhere in there, it's not it's not it's it's not, like, like anyway. Like I said, optically they look bad, but like you know, it's it's not the end of the world. But I mean, if there was is there i i, I can't ex, can't imagine a scenario but there was something really really bad yeah sure like let's let's uh let's end this lgs's career if it was it had to be like it had to be like a bad enough thing though i feel like it, it the line gets kind of blurred because um not to make this interview about about me per se but I, something i've learned recently as a small creator is just that i think the best way i can say it is that i can't assume anyone knows my intentions Mm -hmm. I can't assume that anyone knows my intent, but myself. I mean, that sounds super obvious, right? I, I don't know yes. your intent. You don't know mine. But I think I was going through everything with a lens of like, people are just going to assume that I'm well-intentioned. Therefore, yeah. I can do this. And it turns out, as I've learned as a like an idiot, that's not true. Like, you can't assume anyone knows anything. Like, your things will be taken out of context. Yes. Uh, someone may be looking at Nikaju's video for the very first time. They don't know at all, all the credibility you've built as a competitive or magic trusted voice over the past decade. And they're just going to judge you on this one thing. So I guess it's not really a question, but it's like, I'm, I'm learning that as I go. And I'm just wondering, like, if you can share maybe uh, this is kind of a segue, but maybe some lessons you've learned as a, as a creator in, in terms of your platform and what, what you say or, and not say, have you calibrated your voice over the years? just based on experience. Yeah, I definitely learned I need to be like more charitable to everyone as possible. Like, you know, just like some small jokes nagging at someone could be taken so hard. So like, even if I'm like, even if I'm if in my mind, I'm playfully joking with or trolling with like, maybe the hero of a story it could be taken really really poorly so i have to be treating like the good guys as well as possible 
and you know and, and basically give them as much credit as they give them as much credit as possible um what else can i say how much has changed uh, well, I mean, some, this has always been the case, but, like, I'll never make a video on a cheater unless I was 100% certain they cheated. Like, that was very, very important to me. It was very important mm -hmm. to my ethics. Like, I like 99% is not good enough for me. It's got to be this person 100% cheated. Because you're, you're going to make a video and this uh, on this person, and, like, that, that, you know, that video can, like, stay there for, etern for eternity. It's not any, the end of the world. Uh, if that happens, but like, you know, I, I don't want to barbecue someone who's innocent, even if there's a 1% chance. So mm. there's like a lot of people, I, I just can't, you know, there's no video evidence. There's, there's a lot of reasonable doubt. And for that, I just can't kind of touch that. So I, when, if, uh, and I never had, so I never had this problem, but this is just going, coming with my ethics, my ethos for my channel. Like I need to be a hundred percent certain at least when I'm, you know, declaring someone a cheater, like they cheated, they cheated, they got banned, they got caught. Little this video evidence, you know, that's that that's a wrap. If someone gets banned from Magic for cheating, does that make them a hundred percent a cheater? Oh, uh, oh, banned from Magic for cheating. Does that make them a hundred percent a cheater? Like, if there is some sort of, I mean, punishment? like, is there any mistakes out there? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what I'm getting at because I, I, I honestly don't know. So, I don't know if there are any, because it's hard. Um, knowing the judges, it's hard to get banned. They are insanely charitable. Like they will let a lot of stuff slide. I guess temp temporary ban or permanent banning. Just like if there's some sort of visible public punishment to a player, mm -hmm. can you assume 100% that they are guilty of that, or can you only assume 99% of that? And there needs to be more. I mean, if they don't resist, I would assume 100%. If if they if they make a big statement saying, "Oh, the, the judge got it wrong. I'm appealing this. Somebody help me. Look, I was wrongfully accused or whatever." Uh, and they make a really big deal out of it, then that's the only time I would get any doubt. If they get banned, you don't hear from it again. That's a cheater. <laughs> like okay. they 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 they're now, they've basically canceled themselves. They, so you do trust the process the... overall, like the, yeah, I highly the trust body. the process. I also know based on like the judge program, the judge community, they are insanely lenient. They like don't even like to hand out warnings or penalties all that much. People have this really bad misconception about judges, like they're out to get you. They are an insanely, they're like the warmest of warm communities. So warm it makes me sick. But like they, they are like <laughs> they, they, they are so nice being the people who like lay judgment on how the game is played but they wanted to be they're there to make sure the game is played fair and that everyone enjoys themselves they are there to help you and they're super helpful um so like you know just even well, based well, on that let's unpack that Nikachu. yeah like, I, i'm not saying cheating or bans i'm saying mm -hmm. that you have played in countless competitive mtg yes. tournaments as i have yep. and i find it very hard to believe that every i'm not i'm first of all i need you to clarify this i'm not i don't want to assume anything Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt like just locally in some sort of ruling or decision that judges, of course, all people make mistakes, but like, have they made mistakes in situations that you've been involved in or you heard of and also double down on those types of mistakes? Uh, what do you mean? 
<laughs> so let's I say that you. there was a bad ruling made against you. Sure. And they just, and maybe you just felt like uh, even appealing, it didn't work or mm -hmm. uh, the judges just double down on like, I'm right. I'm like basically yep. power tripping. Happens. Uh, yep. You know, or something that you feel like blatantly should happen. Like, for example, there's a player that has, you know, one foil card in their deck and they seem to be cutting to that foil. Yep. And you try to call that player out and the judge just looks at it because it's a, uh, it's like um, a regular event. It's not an REL event. They're just like, yeah, that's fine, whatever, right? So there's yeah. been there's probably cases like that where you you have probably felt as a competitive player in some shape or form that black and white, the judge made a wrong decision or ruling. Um, like when that happens, do you feel like judges like because I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to equate what's happening locally in those kind of situations mm -hmm. to them making like a macro decision, like I'm going to ban a player. So can you really say that you trust the process when those kind of things happen at a local level? I think they're, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not part of the judge program or anything. So like, I, I, I don't know what the hell goes on, but it, I get a sense that they are so much more lenient at a regular REL level because it is a casual level. Frankly, everyone's like gaming the system sort of like at that level and like, also, the players are like pretty casual. Like they're they're there to just have fun. They're not masterminds of the game or whatever. So like whatever tiny edges they're trying to get here and there, it's all worthless. Like that's the thing that I find at the end. Like if you have to do all this stuff, most see like most people that cheat, they are very bad at the game. It's only becoming dangerous like when you're a very good player and you're cheating at the same time. But mm -hmm. most people who are good at the game, they're clean players and i think most people who cheat they're actually just terrible players you'll find them in the zero five bracket the reason they cheat is because they don't know any other way to like get a mm -hmm. get an advantage so like and maybe the judges have some understanding at a casual level things are very loose and they, they it's more important to keep the keep basically everyone happy when there's this person negligibly getting maybe an advantage from their foil because the opposite end of the coin like I'm, I, I'm very understanding when they're loose on the rules in regular REL, I because the alternative is like, hey, you can't play with this foil card, but this is my favorite foil card. I can't believe it. All right, well, I'm never gonna play here again, and people can get really upset. It's so easy to ruin someone's entire experience for like a, yeah. a match that means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. It means absolutely nothing. But like at a competitive level, um, I think not only are the, the judges do their jobs. They just do. Mm -hmm. You know, you play mm -hmm. with awkward foils, they're going to nail you. Um, they if you tell them like you suspect someone's mana weaving, they'll 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 take a look at it or or like looking at the bottom of your deck or whatever. They'll they'll do some investigation. But the at the end of the day, like they'll do their job at a competitive level. They have like a good track record of doing that. And then if if that guy with the foil is a problem, I think that guy also is more receptive that it's against the rules. They're playing in a competitive REL event. They know they have some idea. They have some idea what they signned up for. Uh, so anyway, I I do tr I do trust the the judge process. I think there's very few like I've um what's it called in terms of judge uh, in terms of I've made many i want to say like six seven eight appeals to judge calls and i was only right once and i was mm. wrong the all the other times 
sometimes for stupid reasons, but I was all, I was wrong all the other times. And then later the judges would just t- explain to me the rules. So I just I thought I knew the rule really, really well. Or I thought the game would work this way so intuitively, but there's just this weird rule that's No, magic is not intuitive. Yeah, when you that is, and you have to learn those it. one at a time. And that's and so uh so even by my own track record, and I'm a pretty competitive player, I was wrong most of the time that I appeal. And I'm appealing it because it's a free roll. But the I think I anyway, I I personally I really trust the judges. I think the judges are great. Um, very thankful for the judges for what they do for like, as far as I'm concerned, very little. I mean, they, whatever, if they're happy, then they're happy. That's great. But, um, it's a lot of hard work and it's turning into a university to become a judge because as time goes on, we're just adding more and more layers of complication to this game. Mm-hmm. I think that is, yeah. I mean, that is generally one good thing about magic is that there is still a kind of competitive sanctity to the yep. game and there is constant attempts to try to try to, um, uphold maintain or hopefully make better over time um i think that's the only way that we can really live as competitive players right because otherwise um it's just a wild west i i and i yeah (laughs) yeah, i mean literally a wild west or wild east depending on where where you are in the world but uh yeah um okay okay i i I get that um judge is good cheaters is good yes that will be the the soundbite or the clip. Uh, although I have to be careful now with clips. Um, <laughs> you have to dig two hours for that clip. It's I'm like going to stop saying stuff like, uh, after two hours, if you made it this far, blah, blah, blah. Because I have found that people actually make it two hours into the yeah. interview as much as I don't believe it. And the metrics don't seem to suggest it. There are people that will actually hate listen to this podcast. But I digress. Um, no, they love it. You know, I was there. I've been to the end to uh, quite a few of your podcasts. Of course. It's worth listening to. Nikachu, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me about your your content journey. Uh, what is the best way for people to find you on the internet or where you would like to be found? You can find me, well, you can find me at my YouTube channels, Nikachu MTG and also Nikachu MTG Live. Uh, that's where I do my daily live streams, which most people don't even know exists. Because, you know, that's just on a separate algorithm. Some people are like, you go live like every weekday? Yeah, I do. So, uh, anyway. And this that, is on YouTube, right? This is that's not also on, on YouTube. Yeah, it's also on YouTube. But it's like, this is like more like very magic-y stuff. Like you, I, I, don't, I don't know how to put it. I don't even know what the show is about anymore. Stuff that's not fit for your regular YouTube channel, it sounds that's like. That's right. And it's like all long form. It's like an hour. It's like an hour. Everything is like an hour long uh okay. yeah like any and anywhere else at nikachu mtg if i if i'm there not oh yeah yeah maybe we could actually use this to to talk about that for a sec like so oh, yeah. what what's your stance on shorts and tiktok and short form video because i've noticed that you've not been doing so much of that in your yeah, alongside all, your... i don't like it it's all crap it's all crap it's uh it doesn't make any money that's a big thing like it doesn't make that much money i try to focus my attention on like what makes money like if you want to make more money in content creation you do things that make money spend your time where make uh, that makes money and also i just don't think it has good enough synergy with my other content my longer form content um i just don't want to attract even an audience that has a sh- like, if if you love TikTok, you're gonna spend a lot of time there, make and just go through a bunch of unforgettable content. You watch TikTok for an hour, and I ask you, what do you watch? You're like, I don't know. 
I don't know what I watched. Okay, so, <laughs> you want that as like a fan? Is that is that what you want? So like I I make content that I think I can build fans from. I don't. Um, I mean, I could I could totally be wrong, and maybe over time this is going to change. But like I don't care about like short form content. Or that Devil's Advocate. Of, that's a little not, too short. For not me. that you need advice from me, a very small time person. But Devil's Advocate to this. What if you did things where the shorts are actually like a sixty second trailer for. Your videos like let's say the mana weaving thing you managed to cut it so that in 60 seconds you got some of the main points and you let people to want to watch the full video because it's in the comments or at the call to action at the end like would not not be still on brand and valuable for your audience and also getting a couple more subscribers along the way it might but like i think i would rather all the time that i spend cutting up my videos i would just rather make another video it's just basically what it is I tried to make some shorts out of my live channel and it's like, it's still work to make them nice looking. It's like, this is F this. I'm not doing this anymore. You know? <laughs> I'd like, again, my work at, maybe if I had better work ethic, I'd, you know, put more effort into shorts, but I, yeah, I just don't. I am a team of one. This is, I mean, and I have an editor that sometimes edits some of my content. That's it. Some, sometimes. And on top of that, I still have to edit tons of stuff because this, this guy, I love how he edits, but he doesn't know magic at all. So then I have to insert all the magic stuff afterwards. Now you made me remember, there is one last question I wanted to ask you. And, okay, sure. And you've re reinvigorated my memory. So um, I feel like the trend of YouTube is going towards, because uh, people talk about there being different eras of YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think YouTube has now gone into a very hyper Mr. Beast, like production studio type of model where you see some of the more successful YouTubers, actually they're more like production companies. It's more mm -hmm. like a brand than an individual. Yep. And you have said that you've been an individual, basically individual, maybe one editor part-time. But mm -hmm. how do you see that? Do you think Nikachu needs to become something where you have to have a team or like, cause let's say that you do have goals to go bigger in terms of growth. Do you feel like that is a necessary condition to achieve where you ultimately want to go? I will always admit that the team will always beat the individual. I've known this for forever. This is just the truth. But the, like I said, I'm like, I'm like a lone wolf sort of person. This is like a big disadvantage for me. And the, but the cool thing about YouTube is that it, it can still leverage the individual pretty well. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know how much help PewDiePie got to get where he was. Um, I also don't know how many of his subscribers are real, but uh, like, you know, there's a lot of still a lot of really big youtubers on a very small you know with like just very few people working for them and that's like the beautiful thing about youtube is that you don't necessarily need the team will always help for sure but undisputably although i have to admit that like in my personal experience with like say editors like it's awkward because like I had some people like, hey, can I edit for you? And like, okay, let me show you, let me see your stuff. And like, they had like this sort of document, like some almost like commercial or documentary looking things. Like, how the hell can I use this for like a magic video? And like I said, you know, there's like a certain, um, there's there's like there's like a Venn diagram of like good editor edits the way that I want them to and knows Magic the Gathering, 
and I can't like as much as I've tried to look. I mean, I honestly maybe I haven't looked very looked very hard, but it it it's it's a really specialized skill if you're like an editor and you know magic. Uh, because like here, here's a big thing I had a problem with. There's all sorts of jokes that I have along the way, or I know in my head how I'm going to edit this this part of the video and what I'm going to zoom in. But I can't convey that constantly to the editor. They don't know anything about that. So like if you have like a if you're a talking head video and they 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 transition this over this, like that's totally fine. But there's a lot of videos that I like. I know what I want this video to look like from beginning to end, and like. I also know from as a being a film uh, film major that the editor has the most power. It's mm -hmm. not you in front of the camera. camera. They tell it's, the story. It's not the script. They they can completely change everything. They change the tone. And if I want this very specific type of feel, this very specific type of music, the sound effects at the right moment, I got to do it myself. And there are big YouTubers that still do that stuff by themselves because they're in the same position as me. They just can't get someone else to do it for them. They do, they mm -hmm. can't read their mind the way they they know they want to that make those videos. Mm -hmm. Um but depending on the YouTube channel, yeah, you could like get a team of all sorts of people because maybe the the editor doesn't need that much power or it can't, doesn't change the the meaning of the video all that much. Well, two points on that. Mm -hmm. One, maybe you just haven't found your Hillier Smith. You know, Hillier Smith was uh, yeah. the the amazing editor who used to do Logan Paul's work mm -hmm. and he came out and branched out. And I think he talks about having a very intentional, specific process of adapting to what a creator wants and actually studying how they do the videos. And so that that could be one aspect of it. And mm -hmm. the other point I want to say is that this is maybe, maybe an area where technology could help in the future. I think in a, in a future, maybe there is a way for AI to just scan your videos, <laughs> maybe find all your memes and like figure out how to edit things or suggest to editors how to humans, how they should do things. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's some things to be unlocked in the future, but I think that's a, that's a more uncertain and wider topic, right? Yeah. But it's like, again, it's like, it's really hard to get that editor that also know there's like so many, there's so many beautiful editors out there. So many great editors. They don't know anything about magic. They don't know a damn thing about this game. <laughs> so, like, you know, that's that's the issue. So, if they're an editor for Matt, like, so if if you know, they're pretty rare, if they're they're an editor and and they're an editor for magic, it's like it's it's a pretty pretty niche, pretty niche. Um, how do I put it? Um, yeah, pretty. Yeah, pretty it's just the intersection of that Venn, Venn diagram, as you said. Job right? description. Yeah. yeah. Or they're all working on Game Knights Commander content, those editors, at least the ones that I happen to know of. So mm -hmm. it's it's a very oh, yeah. small And they pool. do great. They do great. Although I have to say, like, you know, I'm not trying to fight anyone on production. That's for sure. Because, like, I think there's always anyone can do a lot better there and even a lot better than me. And honestly, I love how crude YouTube is. There's got to be tons of channels everyone watches that that they're so crude and cut and like the lighting isn't that great and you don't care because you're there for the content you know you're there for the like content. my video well, right now yeah actually. we're it's watching just, this it's thing. just whatever you, you like this because it's uh it's not super uh hyper amazing production you know you're, you're just you're here for the conversation mm -hmm. yes all right thank you very much nikachu this has been absolutely wonderful thank you for taking us down your 
content journey and also your your mind and a little bit of how you you think about these things. Well, you're welcome. Hope you enjoyed it.